It's a business in which every second counts and every decision can literally be a life or death proposition. But even before the pandemic, the healthcare sector in the U.S. was undergoing a radical transformation. Gone are the days when we'd have to wait weeks or months for test results to roll in. Doctors can now make diagnoses in almost real time, with the details getting uploaded into your electronic health record and then pinging you on your phone. And that's just the start. From the explosive growth of telehealth to remote monitoring and the use of AI, the way doctors and patients interact is changing dramatically. And at the center of this change sits a single enabling element. And the focus of this episode, connectedness. Welcome to Future Enterprise, a podcast proudly presented by the thought leaders at IDC. I'm your host, Joe Pucciarelli, Group Vice President and IT Executive Advisor. Today, I'm excited to explore a topic that's gone from a nice to have to a strategic imperative, thanks in large part to the pandemic. We'll also get invaluable insight from one of the leading healthcare providers in the U.S. as we discuss the future of connectedness. It's something most of us probably take for granted in the age of smartphones, but connectivity is more important than ever. Almost half the world's population is now connected to networks that give them access to the world, to mobile payments and banking, remote learning, critical applications, entertainment, and more. IDC defines the future of connectedness as the ability for data in motion to create seamless user experiences regardless of a person's location, situation, or context. But in a way, the future is now because COVID has already shown us how critical it is for information to be created, shared, and consumed in real time. It's my pleasure to introduce one of our in-house experts on connectedness. Carrie McGilvery is Group Vice President and General Manager, responsible for IDC's worldwide telecom, mobility, and IoT research. Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Joe, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for uh, having me. And also joining us for today's discussion, it's a real honor to welcome Executive Vice President, Chief Transformation and Digital Officer at Novant Health, Angela Yoakum. Angela, thanks so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thanks for including me. I'm really excited to dig into this topic with both of you today, but maybe, Angela, we can start with your view. Novant runs 17 major hospitals and 750 clinics and outpatient centers. How do you define connectedness within the context of your organization? Well, when we think about connectedness, we, of course, think about not only ways in which our system engages with our patients and our communities, but also the ways in which our team members and our clinicians engage with one another. There is an underlying network, an ecosystem of entity types, and this ecosystem is made up of a variety of technologies, of labs, of research groups, of treatment centers, various digital channels by which we deliver care, physical channels or traditional channels of care delivery. And so connectivity, yes, when we're in the technology world, we think about those data flowing back and forth between the points. But in the real world, in the rest of the world, (laughs) you know, we think about ways in which engagement is enabled in ways in which we can better understand and connect with the patients and the clinicians that are part of the care team. And Angela, that, that, that really brings the point to the front, which is how complex, yet how basic that requirement is. Carrie, how does that align with what you're seeing in other organizations? Yeah, I, I think that Angela really uh, summarized it well in that connectivity and connectedness is the foundation on which organizations can 
run their technology, that they can engage with their customers or patients in, in Angela's instance, but also can connect their employees. So what we see is it's a confluence of the technology, the interconnections that people have and need, but also the connections you need to have to the things and processes and even the applications that exist around the organization. So uh, it's very similar in the discussions we're seeing. And I think at the top of this, Joe, you brought up a good point is that before the pandemic hit us, connectivity was really just table stakes. And what we've seen happen over the last 15 months is that it's become strategic to organizations and how they're going to deploy technology and how they're going to make sure that employees and all of their processes stay connected, regardless of where they're located, because we've proven that we can operate with distributed workforce, distributed processes, and there's applications, cloud capabilities that now allow us to do that. That's a great perspective, Carrie. I wonder, Angela, can you talk about some of the connectivity efforts or infrastructure improvements that Novant has made? I know that you've been accelerating digitization, for example, by deploying a patient app. So investment in infrastructure and investment in all digital capabilities is an ongoing process, right? So so there's nothing special, nothing out of order that needed to be done in support of response to the pandemic. When we sent everybody in the back office home, I think the only thing we had to do, I think we had some remote access licenses that maybe had to be expanded. That was an email (laughs) worth of work, (laughs) you know, to to gain more licenses. And and then I think we had to, there was some hardware that we needed to, in in the form of laptops for people who um, maybe needed an upgraded uh, device. But, you know, when we have 36,000 employees, you know, a handful of laptops here or there really doesn't, it's just a blip. So, um, so in the, in the, infrastructure space, we were well prepared. So Angela, I, I think you bring up some like good points about the fact that you did have to make a few pivots to accommodate for the change in, in service delivery, but also in terms of how your, your employees, you said 36,000 employees were going to work. You mentioned remote access. That's something that we saw a huge spike in, in terms of the trends that, that IDC is watching, because you've had all these employees that were going to go home and and ride off of their home network or wherever the heck they were located in, at that moment in time. So with remote access, was it security that was your most biggest concern in terms of patient privacy or exchange of information, even though it was a, you know, one email to turn those on? Uh, what was what was behind that? So in, in our case, um, we didn't have to change the structures of how we thought about access or how we secure uh, the sort of remote connectivity with team members. In, in that case, it was just a, a matter of additional licenses, you know, to expand the existing construct. However, you bring up an excellent point that absolutely is top of mind for all of us, um, not just in the healthcare field, obviously, you know, acro- across the board. Security is a theme that impacts um, every significant solution design decision that is made, every investment decision that is made, the ways in which we structure all of the processes by which we engage one another and engage our patients. Security is always, always, always top of mind. And, you know, obviously, because the threat landscape continues to evolve and evolves so rapidly, this is something that is applied uh, regularly and lives, it's not defined once and then applied. You know, it is defined and then it's redefined and then it's redefined and then it's redefined, right? We're constantly asking ourselves, can we do more? And if the answer is yes, then we do more. Privacy is 
is number one for us. So, so Angela, one of the questions I have, it, it's obvious that you were, were positioned well, had thought about some of the possible contingencies and had a, a capable infrastructure and a capable connectivity strategy in place. Um, as you reflect on the last 15 months, what lessons have you learned from the pandemic or how have those previous preparations or investments in connectedness paid off? I think the most interesting learning across the board has been how easy digital channels can fit neatly into um, the care continuum. If you think about healthcare, the practice of healthcare as being something that is a, a living, ongoing activity, health and wellness, keeping our patients healthy, keeping our communities healthy, then it's reasonable to expect that we would engage proactively and continuously, not just when a patient has an, as some sort of symptom and they contact us to be examined. So the more information we have about patients and their behaviors, the more information the patients have about their own wellness and, and the greater connectivity that we can maintain between patients and their care teams on an ongoing basis, which by the way is largely enabled through digital channels, the better able we are to anticipate major health events before they happen and change behaviors of the patient and proactively reach out to that patient to allow them to avoid that health event and keep themselves healthier. I think rather than just being a theoretical idea, notion that perhaps could be pursued, we had an opportunity to see that live you know, in the during the pandemic, when all of our clinics were shut down, all of the traditional, you know, venues of care, aside from you know the hospitals, the, the the emergency departments, and so on, all of those clinics were shut down for a period of time. And during that time, our patients and our providers and our physicians and our advanced practitioners, they all learned how to engage unconventionally, and that learning has stuck with us. So people who cannot get time off work to come to a, to a clinic, uh, maybe have to take three buses to get to the clinic, maybe have to drive 45 minutes to get to a clinic. These patients, assuming they have connectivity, are able to be seen and to receive care. And they know that it works. And, and we know that it works. Yeah, I think the comment you had around the digital channel being really transforming and, and the adoption of it, because I think if we if we rewind back to the old normal, we didn't rely as heavily on the digital channel or we didn't realize it was available to us. And when all of those physical channels were taken away, we really leaned into the digital and and you can see that it's it's changing the patient experience, but it's also driving crazy amount of uh, efficiencies. So I, I think that's really neat, this shift from physical to digital. And it happened almost naturally, despite the kind of overarching supernatural type of event we were under experiencing. Well, Carrie, I know that from some of you know your writings as well as those of your colleagues that you know this is a, a a realization that's happened across a variety of industries. You know, we see fledgling business models take off and become yeah. you know part of the core business of a variety of industries. Yeah, it's 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 changed the way we deliver service, the, the way we deliver products, uh, e-commerce in the US was fairly advanced, but when you look around the world, the adoption because of that digital enablement has just caused it to surge and I like to think that underlying all of it is that connectedness that we needed and that connectivity. So it's a little self-serving for me to say that, but I do think it really was necessary to make sure that we bridged that gap that we, we had to jump over really quickly. 
Well, folks, there you have it. When we want to see what the future of connectedness is, the future of connectedness is maintaining the patient and and healthcare provider link, even in the face of a pandemic. We're going to pause for a moment, but please stay with us. After the break, we'll hear from two senior physicians at Novant about the impact of connectivity when lives are literally on the line. You're listening to Future Enterprise, a new forward-thinking podcast from IDC focused on how data and technology are reshaping the workplace, applied intelligence, and software. I'm your host, Joe Pucciarelli. If you like what you're hearing, please don't forget to follow and like wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Twitter and LinkedIn. Just search for IDC. Hello again. I'm talking about the future of connectedness with Angela Yoakum from Novant Health and our in-house subject matter expert here at IDC, Carrie McGilvery. So far, we've taken sort of a top-down view, but now I want to get a little closer to the front lines by hearing from a couple of Angela's colleagues at Novant. First, we'll head to an emergency room in Charlotte, North Carolina, to find out how connectedness is improving stroke care. Hi, my name is Eric Eskiaglu. I'm the Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer for Novant Health and also a practicing vascular neurosurgeon. In the past, we used to bring a stroke patient either by emergency medical services or by family member. They would come into the ER, go into a room, ER physician would examine them and send them for a CAT scan imaging of their brain. And the ER physician would be waiting 10 to 20 minutes in the best of circumstances for a stat reading of that CT scan. This would be followed up by a phone call from the radiologist to the front desk clerk. From there, the ER physician would verify it and start calling the next chain of doctors. And you can imagine this phone tag would go on and on and on. Currently, a patient comes in through the same channels. However, the minute they hit our door, the process is completely different. While they're in the CAT scanner, using artificial intelligence, we're able to detect their stroke. And at the same time, on a platform on the smartphones, we're able to notify all the physicians so the whole team is activated at once. Now, if you think about it, 32,000 brain cells die every second of a stroke. This is saved 10 minutes on average on each of our stroke patients, which accounts to 19 million brain cells on average. You can see the big difference it makes, both in the patient's outcome as well as the quality of life afterwards. This is such a breathtaking example, how minutes can have a measurable impact on patient outcomes. Any thoughts, Carrie? Yeah, that's a pretty profound use case of taking data and moving it instantaneously to create action. And the connectivity that this care team has and the ability of the artificial intelligence and the movement of that data across the network to get to the right decision makers who can make a meaningful impact on an individual's lives, it takes my breath away because it it changes that individual's life, but it also changes the intensity and stress around the care team who needs to serve that patient. They're able to do it well-informed in real time. That's a great Uh, example of data and motion and making real differences in our world. I have to tell you, Carrie, I had exactly the same response when I heard it. It it literally takes my breath away. Well, one of the things that we have in in our future of connectedness framework is that connectivity doesn't just affect people. 
it affects processes and it affects applications and it affects things. So the example that we just heard, it kind of embodies all of those pieces because processes were completely changed because of the ability of data to move at a, at a near real-time pace. And individuals were affected. The CT scan was able to do the scan and send the information to the artificial intelligence applications. I just think it, it it's a great example of, of what we think this future of connectedness really is. And I guess you're living it right now. And it's with that thought, we're going to visit another part of the healthcare system that's been revolutionized by connectivity. And that's the intensive care unit. To learn more, we reached out to Novant's chief medical information officer and practicing pulmonologist for 30 years, Dr. A.J. Patefield. Historically, ICU care has been based on the arrival of a patient to a physical location cared for by a team of intensivist physician and nurses. Tele-ICU was introduced 20 years ago to augment this team using video conferencing to intervene based on cardiopulmonary monitoring. Today, mobility and connectivity have allowed a fundamental change in that remote support to deliver care to a patient in any location at any time critical care is needed. Remote locations allow for early care and preventive care that prevents the need for transfer to the ICU altogether. Smaller hospitals with limited ICU resources can allow the patient to remain in that hospital to receive ICU care close to family and friends. Overall, as a result of mobility and connectivity, tele-ICU services have expanded to be able to deliver ICU care when and where the patient needs, resulting in better outcomes and survival, period. Better outcomes and survival. And they're directly enabled by connectedness. That's impressive stuff. But I want to pivot slightly because as I mentioned earlier, the other result of pervasive connectivity is our growing access to data. Angela, how has Novant's relationship with data evolved as you continue to better leverage and utilize it? So when I think about the the three things that are most exciting from a technology perspective, number one, it's the advances in computing power. Number two, it's unprecedented access to data, ever unprecedented, right? Because it just seems like more and more data is available to us and is able to be crunched by us with the aforementioned computing power increases. And then, you know, lastly, it is this extreme connectivity, this extreme interconnectedness that we now can apply to every aspect of our lives. I mean, geographic bounds are almost not a thing anymore, um, you know, with some notable exceptions. So um, so I'm, I'm very excited about the access to data that we have, not just as it relates to our patients' clinical histories, but behavioral data, uh, weather-based data, geopolitical uh, data, you know, everything, anything that's changing, anything that might impact a patient's health, which is pretty much everything, by the way, all of that data is now technically available to us. And so just knowing what to do with it and leveraging that data in concert with you know, the data sources we've traditionally uh, been able to access, that allows us to, to do funny things like predicting major health events before they happen. I mean, and that's, that's what, where we want to be. You know, it's impossible to have this conversation about connectedness without acknowledging the digital divide that still exists, even in this age of 5G and satellite internet. How much of a challenge is that from your perspective, Angela? Oh, it's everything. I mean, you know, health equity is one of our chief concerns. We have historically 
thought about health equity as primarily an access problem. So access to care. That access to care can be geography, you know, an issue with the geography in which a patient lives, or it could be affordability. The other piece uh, that's related to health equity is, of course, all of the social determinants of health. It's not just, which includes access to care, but it's not just access to care. That includes access to healthy foods, access to a safe place where they can take a walk or go for a run. These are the sorts of things that we have to address when we think about making our communities healthier. But now when we think about the ways in which virtual channels can eliminate the health equity issue related to access to care, suddenly the digital divide just looms large. You know, and certainly communities have been dealing with the digital divide as it relates to allowing their students to continue their school during the pandemic. There are a number of different entities that are trying to tackle this problem. But from a healthcare perspective, we feel that the digital divide is truly going to widen the health equity issues as we incorporate more digital channels into the ongoing health and wellness for our patients. And it's therefore become something that we have to directly address. You know, Carrie, how much of a concern is that digital divide from your perspective, from a macro perspective? And how do other companies think about this uneven access? Yeah, I think it's a global issue because uh, at the top of our discussion, you said that half the world is connected. That means that half the world is not. And so we need to think about making sure that infrastructure is built out. So this is a global challenge to allow people to have access to banking to be able to have access to basic information. So bridging that digital divide is what's going to bring us closer together. And I think we've seen that for those of us who have been connected, but those who've been left out, the inequities that it creates, especially when you're thinking about education. And that was an immediate concern when we all went home and most of us were able to just switch over to having our children run on home broadband. But for those kids who went home without a device or had a home that only had one device between two, three, four children and didn't have adequate broadband, it changed the equities of education. And when you think about healthcare and access to notifications of it's your turn to go get a vaccination, it's your time to go for your annual mammogram without that connectivity access, we maintain that digital divide. So this is a government issue. This is a public issue. This is a human issue to keep us all connected. So perhaps on a more positive note, (laughs) Angela... Has Novant started to think about the opportunities for greater connectedness that are presented by emerging technologies like 5G or Wi-Fi 6 or augmented and virtual reality? Well, you know, we have active projects that are thinking about ways in which we can leverage virtual reality, essentially prescribed virtual reality experiences for behavioral health patients. But you can't even think about doing any of those things without the connectivity that allows for that sort of streaming data that is the underpinning of such a VR experience. A lot of our plans are truly dependent upon the increased connectivity we anticipate being in place over the next year, two years, three years. I hope if you've learned nothing else about Novant Health that you've you've learned today that we don't let what is not yet available to us stop us from planning for a potential future in which it will be available. I would certainly agree with that. 
Angela, I would certainly agree. Yeah, I would too. I would definitely agree. So Carrie, what emerging technologies are you most excited about? Well, I, I think there's been a lot, maybe too much press around the transformative nature of 5G because there's a lot of other access technologies, whether it's Ethernet, whether it's the evolution we're seeing in SD-WAN, that's changing the way companies can connect within a more intelligent network approach. Uh, so I think that there's a lot of technologies on the access front, but I also think that the reliance on cloud is an important piece as well. So there's a lot of movement from on-premises communications capabilities to moving them to the cloud. When you think about unified communications and collaboration and then remote access and Angela talked on that, but there's a lot of innovation that's taking place to make remote access even more secure, more flexible, more scalable to meet the needs of any enterprise uh, as they're trying to meet their workers or their partners or their customers where they're at rather than where they may have been in the past. So a, lo a lot of really interesting innovation taking place and we're keeping a pulse on it here at IDC. Well, you know, Carrie, you know, you mentioned remote access and AJ Pitfield shared with us the tele-ICU discussion and it made my mind jump back to the idea of robotic or robotic-assisted surgery, which actually started 20-plus years ago. I think combining the two makes perfect sense. I'll just tell you, I'm not sure I'm ready to let a, a surgeon operate on me from 200 miles away. I, I'm just kind of getting the hang of this whole podcast thing. <laughs> I'm kidding. Baby steps, Joe, baby steps. <laughs> So folks, uh, we're almost out of time, but Angela and Carrie, before we say so long, I'd like to get some parting wisdom from you both. Yes, it's time again for what we call the lightning round. We're going to ask each of you, you know, take 30 seconds or so and sum up your thoughts on today's conversation. Angela, as you look to the horizon, what do you see as the next big hill to climb or opportunity to seize? One of the great things about being alive today and having the opportunity to do what we do in the, in the healthcare space is to consider those many possible futures in which we may be living. And I rely heavily on IDC and other thought leaders to keep tabs on how things will, will progress. And from everything that I read and everything that I think I know, the enhanced connectivity and continued access to new data sources are going to offer more opportunity than they will hurdles. So, you know, the expanding expectations of our patients and our consumers that we serve, the changing business models and ways in which, you know, we could potentially get paid for the services we provide, which in turn allow us to provide more free services to the communities we serve. All of that is going to continue to expand. And I'm, I'm very, um, very positive about those things. I, I don't look at those as challenges more than I look at them as opportunities that will ultimately result in great things for our patients. Carrie, what's your main takeaway or main message to the other business leaders, to CIOs? How do you think they need to be thinking about connectedness in the months and years ahead? We spent a lot of time talking about the digital aspect of, of connectedness and, and making sure we have the channels and the connectivity and the applications and the processes that enable digital. But I don't think we can forget physical connectedness. And I think organizations in the future need to think about how do we bring together an intersection of the physical and digital so that we can have authentic human experiences regardless if we're on a digital channel or a physical channel. Because I know I look forward to getting back in the office with you, Joe. Angela meeting you in person and having the chance to see my husband go back to the office and see the way that we can work in concert with digital 
even when we're in person with one another. So I think that's something that we sometimes have lost sight of over the last few months because we've over pivoted to the digital. And I think the physical connectedness we all need uh, shouldn't be underestimated. I, I, I love that one comment that Angela shared where she talked about the addition of the digital channels. She didn't talk about it as the replacement. She talked about it as the addition. In my mind's eye, I almost imagined threads weaving into a richer fabric. And to me, that as I think about this whole conversation we've had today, that's what I'm going to think about when I think about the future of connectedness. My guests today have been Carrie McGilvery, the Group Vice President and General Manager of Worldwide Telecom Mobility and IoT Research here at IDC. And Angela Yoakum, Executive Vice President, Chief Transformation and Digital Officer at Novant Health. My sincere thanks to you both for this invigorating conversation. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Angela. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Joe. I'm Joe Pucciarelli, and this is Future Enterprise, brought to you by IDC. If you'd like to learn more about the future of connectedness or any of the future of practices, you can find our full research hub at idc.com. Until next time.